Deep in the bowels of Moore Hall Podcast Room, two mild-mannered CM Life newspaper editors harbor an unknown power. With this power comes great responsibility. Hearken now your ears to the raving geeks! Hey, Central Michigan Life, welcome back. My name is Malachi Barrett. Uh, with me is Ben Solis. And uh, we're here, Raven Geeks, again, not going anywhere. Doing the damn thing. Yeah. Uh, as we as we did last week and as we're going to continue to do, we're going to start with some news uh, for fans of Superman Returns. <clears throat> yeah. I know there's not many of you out there. Uh, you all remember Brandon Routh, the, uh, the lame duck Superman of the... Early two thousands. Was this performance really that bad in that movie, or was it just the movie wasn't? It was really well just. Received? It was just the movie. We can get into that. He was an okay Superman. It's hard to tell with him, but, but he's moved on. Oh yes, he he's has. no longer the Superman. No, no. Uh, he's been recently cast as the Atom yes. in Arrow or Flash. Which Arrow. One? Arrow. Arrow. Okay. Yes. Yeah, I uh, I don't really watch either of those shows, so you can kind of explain what's going on with him. Okay, so this season, uh, one of the things was that. The, the character devices that they were going to do is that, you know, Oliver Queen was going to indefinitely lose Queen Industries. Uh, throughout the other two seasons, there had been some, you know, talk, some play that, you know, he was going to lose it here to this villain and this villain, but he always kind of retained power. So they were attacking company. him financially? Yeah, it was kind of like a Dark Knight Rises thing in the last season, which is really interesting. Hmm. They, they attacked his company and took it from him. Um, so he really had nothing. But finally, in this season, the man is broke. Oliver Queen's got nothing to his name. And Ray Palmer, who you guys all know as is the Atom, played by Brandon Routh, buys his company from him, swipes it under his feet, and uses all of his R and D money to create his super suit for the Atom. You know, and it's That's really oh, it's real interesting. And actually, the story is pretty cool because it links back to some of like the events that happened within the last season. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he lost someone very dear to him, lost his wife, and because of that, he's gone on this like crazy crusade to fight crime. And, uh, yeah, we were all kind of waiting for the suit to come out, and we didn't really expect that big of a reception. If you guys have seen it, it looks freaking great. Yeah, it looks uh, a lot of armor to it. Real lot of armor. Which is interesting because in the comics, the Atom is essentially just kind of wearing tights like everybody Yeah, else. yeah, pretty much. Like his whatever super circuitry that makes him shrink. He's kind of like a like a Ant-Man analog. So, totally. And, and he's like DC's Ant-Man. Well, he barely like even had a face too. Like the mask cover, the whole thing covered his entire face. Yeah. It was, you know, very comic booky. But this looks like I mean, it looks like Iron Man. Pretty much, yeah. And it looks it looks pretty good. I mm-hmm. mean, we were all kind of talking about you know, do they have the kind of budget that they need to do some of these really fantastic characters like Flash? Obviously, their budget is huge because they've got to do all these special effects. Right. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, my God, Arrow must be rolling in the bank if they can afford to build a suit like that. Well, it's not very special. Heck- Effects uh, heavy as it is, right? They do a lot of practical effects in here. They usually do. Yeah, yeah. There's so nothing, nothing really fantastic out of the blue. When they did do the Flash crossover this season, that probably cost them quite a bit of money. Um, I think that they usually have the, the more of their money draw, their money like uh, sapping, if you will, is a lot of these like sets. They really go to uh, really kind of exotic locales to shoot some of this stuff. Oh yeah, uh, which is really kind of cool. So that's probably where most of the money's going. But wow, to do something like this. It's like a movie-quality suit. really is Yeah, for a side it's character. Film, film quality. You know, Brandon Routh always said, too, that he would never do another comic book adaptation. I think that right. since, since that last one, he's been a little turned off. Well, I mean, it's become kind of back in the mainstream now where it's okay to be superheroes again. Oh, yeah, sure. Look at Evans, man. Yeah. Chris Evans. Evans and Ben Affleck, who said he was never going to be a superhero after doing Daredevil. Exactly. And well, now it's kind of gotten back to the point where he can do Batman. I mean, someone offered you Batman. Would oh, you turn would, that down? Well, maybe just out of respect for it. I don't know if I could do Batman. Yeah. It might be testing my artistic limits. So Batman and Shakespeare. I might put the cowl down for that one. <laughs> I am not worthy. So, yeah. So, things are going really, really well for Arrow. Obviously, they're you know kind of branching out into new territory. I mean, the special effects probably have to be huge with that character What season well. are they in now? They are in season three. Only three. And it's kicking butt, too. So I would have guessed, like, five. And there's all wow. kinds of all kinds of cool stuff coming up. If you've been a fan of the show for a long time, there's been kind of like a running thread with like Malcolm Merlin, Green Arrow's most notorious arch enemy. That's some terrible alliteration. Oh, I know. Malcolm Merlin. Malcolm Merlin. Is he like a magic guy? He's, he's the dark archer. Jesus. So he is the exact analog to Green Arrow. Only his name is he's Merlin. He's just Black Arrow. He's yeah. He's pretty much Black Arrow. 
Why doesn't he just like use guns or something? Why does everybody want to use like, bows? Uh, you know, he's trying to you know match the dude. I guess. Yeah, it's weird. Speaking of the dude, did you see the uh, commercial with Jeff Bridges in the Super Bowl? That was fucking fantastic. Yeah. He was I, 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 my favorite part about Jeff Bridges is that he's basically just the dude in real life. Oh, yeah. He's totally accepted the fact that, like, most people see him as this, like, kind of yogi almost character. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, he's, like, some, like, Bodhisattva roaming through, you know, Hollywood trying to enlighten people. I don't know who Bodhisattva is. But... Oh, Bodhisattva. Malachi yeah. is a uh, Buddhist terminology of someone who is spreading good love and you know kindness throughout the world in, mm. in order to attempt to be a Buddha. It's like a like a Santa Claus. Type. Yeah, but Buddhism, Buddhist right. Buddhist Santa Claus, minus the beard, which is basically Jeff Bridges. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, <laughs> we can wow. get down well, to it. See, that's pretty perfect, actually. All we right. come full circle. That's on a Raven multi-layered Geeks, reference, man. Nice work. <laughs> we come I don't full know if you circle. intended that or not. I but. did not. That was all <laughs> off the cuff, guys. Completely. I, anyway, yeah, Bren Ralph, he's got another chance at being a legitimate superhero. I think he can do it, too. He's, he's doing really well on the show. Uh, his character's really cool. Obviously, you know, the Ray Palmer character is, has always been kind of like a, a one-note character, and they've really given him some, like, psychological depth, too. So mm. we'll see. Okay. Well, staying on the DC side, uh, it's been announced that the current Superman series uh, – will be giving Superman a new power. Dun, dun, dun. And you were just saying before the show, the last time he's acquired a new superpower was in 1948? 1949, 1949 was the last time they gave him a superpower, and that was his heat vision. Hmm. They, they, they gave him flight in 41 and heat vision in 49. And what about, like, the cold breath and super speed? Was that all just kind 1939. Of all of that stuff was in 1939. Super hearing. That means he had all that stuff before he could even fly. Isn't wow. that a trip? Why wouldn't you make the guy fly before you give him, like, cold breath that doesn't make, nah, I don't know it seems like flying is a much more legitimate it's like they're playing off the Superman thing you know he's gotta like be yeah, but a, a human being I guess but a Superman would probably be able to fly I mean you're telling me man <laughs> yeah so yeah so he's gonna get a new superpower it's aptly titled the solar flare yeah uh, I don't know how they're gonna pull this one off like the uh, like Krillin yeah solar pretty much ah! we were we were talking before the show I was like what does he go Super Saiyan like does his hair turn magically blonde there's uh, been some uh Cover art released, which is how they kind of break this stuff now as they release covers that have like little teasers. Yeah. Uh, penned by John Romita Jr. Looks really good, by the yeah. way. Yeah. Uh, I've not really ever been a fan of his art. He's got like kind of stereotypical faces with like the noses. He does sure. really weird. Sure. Like, I mean, not, not to guy. sound like really weird or anything, but the, his body structure, he, do, he does perfect bodies. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, not that like, I'm looking at, not looking like, like checking out Superman's Superman's body, all the body time. looks pretty good. Pretty Superman's body looks pretty good, man. He's looking pretty tight these well, days. It was Romita, you know. Yeah. Pecs. Well, it is the wintertime. I'm surprised that Superman was able to keep up that. He is, man. You know, he's got a good regimen. You know? Yeah. He stays away from the uh, holiday fixings. So I'm assuming this power is going to be based on his ability to absorb solar energy, which, you know, he derives his powers from the yellow sun of Earth. Yes, he does. So maybe he'll just be able to discharge that in some kind of explosion type thing? It seems that way. Um, it seems, and you know, it's, it's very weird because how they've been doing Superman in the comics is they've kind of like almost been regressing him, you know, psychologically since it all started back over again in New 52. When, yeah, you know, um, such a young Superman, reckless Well, yeah, Superman. when Morrison took over, uh, you know, he kind of had this, this, yeah, this reckless kind of Superman thing. Yeah. Like he was still learning and stuff like that. But they really haven't gotten away from that. They've really kind of kept this idea that he's like some young 20-something who really doesn't know how to use most of his powers. Which is interesting because they were talking about new powers for Superman years ago. And they never really introduced any of them. Well, he's had... So when Superman died and there was like the split of like the five Supermen that took over... Yeah, Are you yeah, familiar yeah. with that? When yes, he had, of course. Him and Doomsday punched each other to yeah, death. Yeah. Then there was, like, Superman red and blue, and they had, like, electric powers. Yes. There's been some kind of bizarre uh, choices. My favorite actually was in uh, another Grant Morrison run, All-Star Superman, which... Oh, yeah. Yeah, which is, like, you know, at kind of the end of Superman, basically, like, the last Superman story, I, I guess would be a decent way to describe it. But in that, he absorbs too much solar radiation, and he gains all these other powers, like uh, being able to dispel, like, a bioelectric field and all these, like, really weird powers. <sighs> They just don't seem to like kind of fit with this. I don't really. I don't know. I don't like this power. That I, much. I don't know. I mean, I'm not. I'm not really sure what they're doing. We haven't these really days. seen it in action either. You know, uh, I was a big fan of New Fifty Two when it came out. I wasn't. I thought it was dumb. I know a lot of people who weren't. You're not alone. And uh, I've really kind of just like gotten a bad taste in my mouth from it. You know, they're really detracting from a lot of their own characters and their own storylines. And 
what made the canon so cool. I don't know. Change, I guess, isn't that bad, though. Maybe people who jumped on at the time. And they really it. have. I mean, comic sales are up for DC. That's good. You know, New 52 has everything to do with it. So I guess if a new power is what you need to read, kids, go for it. But, yeah, I'd like to see how he does this. I mean, what kind of collateral damage are we talking here, right? Yeah. I mean, I wonder if it's going to be, like, an explosion, like some kind of force wave sure. that he shoots, you know, or if it's, like, a blinding kind of thing or I don't know. It just seems weird. Like, I don't, I don't get it. You know, and it opens up a kind of a cool door, and I, I was thinking about this earlier, too, is that, you know, if we're going to go on this thread in the movies that Superman is this kind of maligned figure mm-hmm. for doing so much damage, and what if they take, like, a kind of a Civil War take that, you know, Superman blows up, does a lot of shit, blows away a whole town. Sure, yeah. You know, that could be an easy thread to, from the follow. I, honestly, one of the first thoughts that I had, too, is that he had maybe this power was going to be similar to Nuke, yeah. uh, who's basically just uh, can create atomic explosions. Yeah. I don't know. So we'll see. I don't think they'd give that to him, though. It's a little yeah. too dark, maybe. It is, but that's the, that's the new 52 for you, though. I mean, yeah. the stories are all generally much more dark. So we will see. But it's interesting nonetheless because of the time period. I mean, my God, that's that's 60 years? 49? Yeah. Since Jesus. he's had, like, a long-lasting power change. Oh, yeah. He's had some weird... Oh, yeah. And I wonder how long it'll actually stick around for. You yeah. know, it might be a novelty thing to try to sell a couple of books and then they get rid of it, you know? It's, it's probably a, a story device, yeah. I mean, his speed has changed greatly over time. His strength has changed greatly. Yeah. You know, pre-Kaiser Superman could, like, lift planets and, like, stuff like that. And then he got powered down. Yeah. Now we can just leap buildings in a single bound. Well, speaking of shakeups, uh, jumping over to the Marvel side real quick. Deadpool is supposed to die ha! in April. <laughs> he's supposed to die in He's dead. In the Finally, he's gone. 250th issue, which is not like number 250. It's just kind of like since the current team has jumped on, they've done a couple of like different collected editions, and yep. it's like the 250th that they worked on. And I guess he's supposed to die uh I don't know. There's not really a whole lot of information out there about it. For the most part, he's been kind of shown to be unkillable. Oh, completely indestructible. Yeah, absolutely. He can regrow his head and whole body all parts, body. man. Sometimes he'll like he'll, he'll take his own body parts and start whapping people with them. Yeah, just leave them behind because he knows he'll just regenerate them. Yeah. So have you read out how this is going to happen? How are they going to kill him? I do not know much about this at all. So it's just an announcement at this point. Yeah, I think it was announced maybe last week or something like that. There Wild. Might be some information out there. Wild. I mean. He could cut off his head, right? But he grows his head back. Right. You could take he's, his heart. He could probably grow his heart back. He even had, like, his brain destroyed, and that's come back, which is Weird. usually, like, the cutoff. Like, Wolverine is supposed to die if you can destroy his brain. So, so what are you what are you, what are you talking here? Like, total vaporization? I, I That's what you have to do, I guess, right? Jesus Christ, man. I mean, when they killed Wolverine, he was basically just encased in adamantium. Yeah. yeah. That was how he died in, you know, the most recent. So, I don't know. they got to get creative. So, so Deadpool's gone. The Marvel Universe is changing. Yeah. The times, they are changing. I mean, this stuff will probably all get undone. Oh, of course. At the big cataclysmic event. Give it a year, kids, and everything will be right with the world. Yeah. But you know what won't be right with the world? Hmm. Some people in their childhoods. Yes. Their their nostalgia has been broken. Tainted. Totally dismantled. Dashed aside. Rocks, man. Rocks everywhere. Dragon. There's rug through the mud. There's blood and bones all over the cliffs. Tears. Ghostbusters is being remade. Let's uh, take a moment of silence for Harold Ramis. Yeah, yeah, at the behest of Ramis. That was good. So as many of you know, Ghostbusters is being remade. It is being remade with an all-female cast, and the original Ghostbusters have no involvement in it whatsoever. Mm -hmm. How this kind of started is that they've been trying to make Ghostbusters 3 for years. Dan Aykroyd especially. Year, oh, Aykroyd has been trying to s- just spearhead this. Bill Murray hasn't wanted to do it. He didn't even want to do the second Ghostbusters No, movie. not at all. He didn't think it was funny at all, which right. is, I mean, it's okay. Yeah, it's not as good as It's a good movie. Sure. But, it, yeah, not nearly as, you know, genius as that first Ghostbusters movie. So, yeah, Bill Murray drags his feet. No one wants to do it anymore. He was kind of the key to them not doing it for a while. Oh, too. yeah. Well, they had three-way rights, right? Yeah. So each one of them has to agree to sign on to the project for it to get made. That's how they had the deal in the original the contract. Everything was good with that. And uh, Ivan Reitman, who directed those first two, those two Ghostbusters movies, yep. he was signed on to the project as well. Well, when Ramis finally died, that was kind of kaputs for, for Reitman. I mean, why would Reitman want to even be involved with a project that didn't have 
one of its best writers in it. Right. I mean, honestly, I mean, and someone who's been there from the beginning well, and has course. so much tied into the humor. Of, of course. It. I mean, I think Egon is. I mean, he's not a side character at all. He's so essential. He may not be one of the. He gets the, the plot rolling. Basically. Absolutely. Well, he's he's the the foremost scientist out of all of them. Right. You know what I mean? What is it that uh, Venkman line? What does that got to do anything? Back off, man. I'm a scientist. Yeah. Lines for days. Lines for days. It was so good about those Ghostbusters movies. But now, you know, it was up in the air. No one knew it was going to go going to happen. And so Ramus dies. Everybody's out. They had to sell the rights again. And uh, Paul Feige, brilliant director, great comedic director of, of our time. Bridesmaids was hilarious. Yeah. You know, uh, decided that he's going to take it up. And I have a lot of faith in it. But at the same time... I mean, is it really Ghostbusters? Yeah, I mean, uh, I don't have any problem with the casting. You, let's run through the cast. Real yeah, quick. yeah, that's the, been announced. and the cast is is pretty damn good. Uh, starting off, they announced that Melissa McCarthy was in talks. Yeah, which is good. I mean, she's she's getting her star power is pretty big right now. She is really funny. You know, people have really kind of like taken her name and like put it in conjunction with like uproarious comedies. Mm-hmm. Uh, so good on them. That's gonna get a lot of people in the theaters who probably wouldn't go see it anyway. Uh, but then Kristen Wiig, my God, and then Leslie Jones, SNL right now, she's great, and Kate McKinnon, SNL right now, and she's great too. So you've got three people who are SNL vets, which is so sorely needed, yeah, because of Ramis, Aykroyd, Bill Murray. You need that dynamic, you know. Yeah, those roots were there. Um, but you got that fourth person, so we'll see. It's kind of interesting that Leslie Jones is a, is a pretty prominent black comedian, so she's like kind of like the female Winston. Yeah. I thought that was a lot that they like went exactly like an uh, Yeah, I wonder if know? that was like a quota that they decided to meet or if it just <laughs> Well, we got to have Winston, so who are we going to get? It happened naturally, yeah. Yeah. Doubtful. Doubtful that it happened naturally. See, my problem with this is why can't we assemble a, a talent like that and just make an original movie? Exactly. You I mean, know? I... It, there's and, so much comedic potential with that, those characters. Why do you need to rehash Ghostbusters? I don't know, man. Is Ghostbusters even relevant in, in 21st century? I mean, I think it is. I mean, I okay, so I'm a little older. I say this all the time to a fault sometimes. But a lot of my references are really outdated, and all these other guys around here and gals, they just laugh at me and think Hence I'm... Hence the Buddhism crap. Yeah, you? I'm a dumb old man. <laughs> but the one thing that resonates with all you guys is Ghostbuster lines. I can spit Ghostbuster lines, and you guys automatically know what I'm talking about. Yeah. So that means a lot. That carries a lot of weight, especially for our generation. You know, we grew up with the uh, the Ghostbusters TV show, the yep. cartoon. So even if you didn't see the movies right out, you grew up with the cartoon. You knew Slimer. You knew all the other, like, you know, the side characters. Cool stuff like that. So I, th- I think it has a chance. I know a lot of people are, are just very upset about it. You know, I got a friend uh, named Danny Donovan. He writes for DC and Marvel. He's a good guy, a little schmucky sometimes, but, uh, you know, he's very against this, and rightly so. I mean, he's older than me, so, I mean, that's, that's like, his generation's movie now kind of just dashed again. Here we are back to the, the icy cliffs of the rebooting and, <laughs> and yeah, rehashing. Yeah. And, yeah, I don't know. I mean, and this is kind of a reboot, right? This is supposed to explore how a new cast of characters are creating the first Ghostbusters unit in this kind of new Ghostbusters it's universe. A, it's a reboot, it's, but it's not a reboot. It's like a continued story. So it's like clearly going to be like a Ghostbusters 3. I'm interested in seeing how they're actually going to connect the two. They said I, uh, they're going to connect them. I don't know. That they you know they're going to connect them. I feel like that's almost even worse. It might be, but I mean, I mean, you tell me, I mean, Story-wise, if you just reboot completely, it just doesn't make any sense. Yeah, but there's not the limitations of having to ground it in the previous canon, if you can even use that for Ghostbusters, which I guess, you know, maybe you can. But, like, you know, they have to tie specific things, and they're kind of, like, bound by it. You know, you can have the Ghostbusters come up in a completely different way by not having it. I mean, who knows? Maybe maybe Kristen Wiig is, like, Dan Aykroyd's granddaughter. Oh, God, you that know? sounds so dumb. I know, I know it is, but you uh, know, that's the only way you could really put it together. Wow. My dad, uh, my dad offered the suggestion that maybe they all got sex changes. <laughs> you know Careful what I mean? With that one, yeah. Man. Well, I mean, just you know, it happens. Could be, but I, you know, I just, it's really just when you don't know where they're gonna go with it. That's what kind of dashes it all on the rocks. You know, you don't really know if they're going to respect you one of your favorite movies i think that they will they have good intentions maybe that like i said before and i keep saying you know i 
it's not that I don't have faith in who's making it. Yeah, because I, I do, and I know you do, too. I just don't have faith in the idea. Yeah. Telling me that another Ghostbusters is going to be made, even with the original cast, you know, even if, you know, zombie even, even that Harold was Ramis comes up. Yeah. Totally, totally you know? still dicey. I, I just, I don't know. You just, know, just make make a great movie with female comedians about something else. Yeah. Why does it have to? Why do they have to bank the success of this movie on it being Ghostbusters? You know, it almost feels yeah. like you know they don't trust uh, you know a female driven cast to be marketable on its By own. its own, you know. Exactly. I think it's interesting too that when Bridesmaids came out, it was like received as like this huge like surprise hit. Oh yeah, it was a hallmark. Like, but they were just filling a demand that people wanted to see of female comedians sure. being funny. Sure. You know, it wasn't like it was like the studio executives were like looking over their piles of cocaine and just being like, "I, I don't get why do the why does the public want to see this? I don't understand how this happened. What a crazy coincidence!" I don't even know, man. I can't feel my face. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It just it it's it's me. stupid. Well, I mean, with bridesmaids, you know, Kristen Wiig did write that movie. Yeah. You know, and that was apparent. I mean, okay, so when all this was going down and they did announce that this was going to be a female cast. The first thing I thought of is like the only way this is going to work for me is if you get Kristen Wiig, Amy Poehler, and Tina Fey. Yeah. You get all three of them. I mean, that's that's genius on its own. Sure. That could survive. If even if Poehler and Fey are just maybe writers or consultants. Oh yeah, totally. Um, but I'm really happy that they got Kristen Wiig. I think like all of my apprehension was really kind of just like dolled down when I saw Kristen Wiig's face on that announcement. Just like mm-hmm. yes, because I think Kristen Wiig is by far the funniest woman in comedy. Everything that she says, everything that comes out of her mouth makes me die rolling on the floor i don't know what it is part of it's a crush i think she's gorgeous but she's also really 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 funny and someone who's watched snl for so long you know big time highlight she carried a lot of that later oh yeah when a lot of that cast was leaving well you know bill Hader was trying to be out jason Vegas was leaving i think she kind of bounced i think she actually bounced before them um but at the same time when yeah when that transition from like the Late two thousands cast from like that golden, you know, uh, oh, Will yeah. Ferrell and and all those guys. Yep. As soon as they started leaving, she was really kind of a shining light, and all of them were. I mean, and that's funny because you can each pick out different eras of SNL that were just really great. Yeah. Um, but in my mind, you know, this this most recent, besides the one that's on right now, you know, this Kristen Wiig, Bill Hader, Jason Sudeikis, that lineup, Fred, yeah. Fred Armisen, those guys to me were so much more like. Murray and Aykroyd and Chevy Chase, you know, Gilda Radner, Lorraine Newman. That's what it reminded me of, and that's why I liked it so much. Oh, yeah? You know, um, the new cast is doing well, but... I haven't really been keeping up with it that much. Yeah, it just it won't be like that again for a very, very long time. Because some of those skits were just genius. I mean, Vincent Price's Halloween special with Bill Hader playing Vincent Price. Oh, yeah, now I know what you're talking oh, about. Oh, God, dude. Yeah. If you want, okay, guys, if you want to laugh a minute sketch to watch, YouTube Vincent Price's Halloween special, and you will be like me, dying laughing, rolling on the floor. So, I don't know. It's sad. I've never really felt a whole lot of connection to the more recent, more modern SNLs. I always really enjoyed, like, the Phil Hartman oh, and, yeah. you know. Oh, yeah. Uh... David Spade, Chris Farley, Adam Sandler. I think that was my favorite. By the way, SNL's 40th anniversary special is uh, this weekend. Oh, is that going to be pretty big? It's going to be real big. The first time that Eddie Murphy's been on SNL's stage since he left. Really? He's never been a guest or anything? No, and it's interesting. I was reading up on this. So during his, I guess, you know, his his descent as as a big star... The Doctor Doolittle era, the Norbit, the Norbit era, crescendo. Even before that, even like in the mid '90s, right? Uh, I think it was uh, when A Vampire in Brooklyn oh, man. came out, yeah. which was re- a ridiculous movie. If you want to see uh, Eddie Murphy with some fake fangs and like a really bad looking weave, Jeez. Vampire in Brooklyn, baby, sounds like a terrible. Oh, idea. it's it's ridiculous. And um, I think w- okay, so when that was going on, David Spade used to do this thing called Hollywood Minute. Mm-hmm. on uh, Weekend Update, you know, where we just rag on people. Yeah. And uh, at one point in time, he held up a picture of Eddie Murphy in Vampire in Brooklyn, and he said, oh, look, kid's a falling star. And, like, okay, that's pretty, that's a cheap shot. Yeah. You know? And With the snark of David Spade probably didn't help. Oh, totally. Well, here's the thing, too, is that, like, uh, Eddie Murphy's gripe was, it's like, you know, you're not attacking me at that point. You're attacking my career. And his biggest thing, too, was that every joke has to go through Lorne. Every single joke has to be signed off by Lorne Michaels for it to run. Yeah. And that means that his old buddy, Lorne Michaels, who hired him, made him a superstar, thought it would be cute to say, yeah, let's poke at Eddie. And they don't really do that to too many other people. Not that they're alone, for mm. sure. 
So yeah, he was a little he was a little joking, man. Bad blood there. Real bad blood. Actually, he saw him uh, a couple of years ago, and Chris Rock came up to him and was like, "Do you still hate him?" You know, yeah. like classic Chris Rock voice. Yeah. And he's like, "Nah, everything's good." But yeah, he's gonna be on there. It's gonna be pretty cool. That's cool. Yeah. So we'll see what the Ghostbusters things hold for us. You know. Only time will tell. But you know what is timeless? Uh, taxes. Taxes are timeless. Death is also... Samuel L. Jackson. Samuel L. Jackson is definitely timeless. Um, the inevitable heat death of the universe. <laughs> wow, you're really going out there, aren't yeah, you? Trying, what else? I got one is, more. Is that the solar flare? Is that the, the effect of the Maybe, solar flare? Yeah, the just, heat death of the universe? destroys everything. Fantastic. No, what is more timeless than any of that is the story of war in comic books. Malachi and I had a conversation yesterday trying to figure out what we were going to do for you fine people, and we really wanted to focus on something we could dig our teeth into. And uh, we brought this up before in a former episode about, you know, the impact of war on comics, but not to the extent that I think we're going into now. Yeah. So what we have prepared for you is a short history of war on comics. God, I sound like a professor. Yeah. Should I go get my uh, my little your office tweed down jacket? Here? Yeah. With I, your... I, got, I had a tweed jacket for a long time, man. And your uh, corncob pipe? They called it my John Denver jacket. <laughs> oh, yeah. My buddy Jamal would be like, oh, look, it's John Denver. That's great. Rocket Mountain High. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, yeah, so we're, we're going to prepare a little thing for you. I did some digging, mm-hmm. if you don't mind, Malachi. He's I'm, got a Word document open right I have, now. I have like my laptop. This is the everything. first time I've ever brought my laptop. He's got an outline as if we're about to write like a paper for English class. Yep. War and Comics. The first, the first thing is called Genesis 2. Part 1. Oh, boy. So basically, kids, friends, Romans, countrymen, it all started in mid to late 1930s, right as uh, the... World War II was was building up. Um, you know, war in comic books has always been kind of a standard drop uh, backdrop. You see it a lot, but that's when it started. And the funny thing was is that Cap Number One, right, which really pushed this thing into you know the public consciousness. Captain America. Captain America Number One shows him fighting Nazis, but that came out a year before the U.S. even got involved. Yeah, well, what I think is funny is that in the beginning, or maybe not funny, that's the right word, but like... It's okay, I wrote down funny here, too. Oh, did you? Funny Good. thing is... It's, is it in bold? <laughs> no. Um, no. Either. Anyway, uh, I mean, a lot of the origin of this, and I think probably the main push of why comics and war have such this kind of strong parallel tie connection, whatever, uh, is rooted in propaganda. Sure, absolutely. Know? So that doesn't really surprise me that I mean, we all kind of know that Captain America was used as a propaganda tool. Sure. But to kind of suggest that he was used by, you know, before World War One and World War Two, there was this huge debate in America about whether or not we should even join the oh, conflict. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, I did not know that. That's actually really interesting that mm-hmm. he was used as a tool to kind of get public opinion to agree to go fight in uh, in Europe. Yep, exactly. We were isolationists for a real, real, real long time. Um, we I mean, if you look back into some of the writings that, you know, George Washington used to say is that, you know, the downfall of this country is when we get involved with foreign affairs. Yeah. So it's kind of ominous now. Thanks, George. That one didn't really last. Yeah. And the banks. Yeah. And we're kind of screwed on that one, Jesus. too. For another time, we'll talk about the tyranny of the banking system later. Um, <laughs> yeah. Federal Reserve. <laughs> Federal Reserve. Episode 10. <laughs> Damn you, Fort Knox! <laughs> Yeah, so, you know, it's interesting that, yeah, he was used as that tool to try to sell them on all of that. And this was even before Pearl Harbor, too. So it's like, I don't know, it's kind of it's kind of creepy almost in a way, you mm. know, as the events kind of just laid into each other. Um, but, you know, once that happened, it really kind of hit off. People really enjoyed it. Not only, you know, the sons and daughters of GIs, the GIs themselves, but I think, you know, people knew that we were going into World War Two to you know, try to help save the world. You know, we were bombed too, so there was some vengeance there. But, you know, that that kind of had that thread that these are there's these are superheroes in their own right. They don't have capes, they don't have superpowers. They got guns and grit, and uh, that's basically the American way, right? But yeah, they had all kinds. Of, it it proliferated like crazy. DC had Sergeant Rock and the Losers, who went on suicide missions. Yeah, kind of an early uh, precursor to the Suicide Squad. Um, they also had Enemy Ace and Blackhawk, which were like two like kind of pilot characters. Oh yeah, I remember Blackhawk. Blackhawk was cool, man. Yeah. He actually kind of looked like a Nazi. It was really weird. Like he had like a big like you know military style hat, but he had like a bomber jacket too. Yeah. So, you know, weirdly enough, I watched The Rocketeer this weekend, mm-hmm. which is also kind of like you know it was it was kind of a comic. It was a pulp thing. The Rocketeer. Yeah, it was more like one of those sci-fi pulp. Yeah, but you know that's very oriented in fighting the Nazis. You know, Neville yep. Sinclair. 
actor by day, Nazi by night, <laughs> you know, beating his ass. So, yeah, it was, it was, you know, just, this all kind of comes to a head. Nazi by night sounds like an erotic fan Yeah, novel. you know, <laughs> sitting there by, uh, by his fireplace. Yes. Shirtless. As Hitler walked in the room, his lip quivered. Captain America. That sounds terrifying. <laughs> there's, nothing, there's nothing funny about this, and here we are. Yeah, sorry. Okay. Sorry, guys. We're irreverent. We pride ourselves on our irreverence. 50 but years removed. This exactly. Kind of dulls it a Come little. on. It's okay. Yeah, but I mean, this really shows how just every part of American society turned into the war machine. Oh, yeah. You know, every piece of media was, was pushing this narrative. Absolutely. And it kind of bordered on racism a little bit. Oh, sure. Uh, some of the stuff with uh, sure. Batman and Superman, especially over in D.C., uh, Batman doesn't use guns, but there uh, there's a cover that exists with him firing like a, a machine gun, like a mounted machine gun. With, really? With Robin feeding rounds into it. Uh, there's one of Superman... Uh, cranking this giant like press machine uh that's like printing off pages that say slap a jap on them wow yeah wow that's uh, bad. Some, some pretty bad stuff there yeah you know and that's the thing about war is that it's really really kind of shitty is that you know you obviously have the best intentions to try to protect your own people but you throw a whole culture under the bus you have to make people the enemy you know um one of the things i think is interesting about our conflicts right now is that and we were, I think we're really starting to do this more. But for a good long while there, we really didn't have a boogeyman to fight against. Hmm. That whole period within the 90s were all just, like, small little conflicts. There was no, like, real aggressor. Russia was done. You know, now that we have al-Qaeda and now this, this formation of ISIS and, you know, all these, like, you know, brand-name terrorist cells, we have that back. But, yeah, I mean, the Japanese, the Germans, who, you know, no fault of their own, a lot of them hated the Nazis anyway. Yeah. You know, they didn't want these people in, in running their country they were you know tyrants um but yeah that's that's really sad slap a jap that's ridiculous yeah it's pretty bad that right? is really really bad yeah those are all out there online you can find them they're pretty uh yeah so you know th- it's glorification and uh you know look at jack and stan right jack and stan made sergeant fury and his howling commandos right i got that written down yep too. as you guys uh, may know the side men to cap and modern cannon are his, his group the howling commandos who were they really he was uh the leader of that group was was Nick Fury. Yeah, Sergeant Fury is Nick Fury, you know. And then they made him, you know, Shield once the war was over. Give this guy a medal. And he was a big Cold War. We'll get to the Cold War in a minute. I Absolutely. got a couple of examples for that. Yeah. But, uh, what I thought was interesting too is in a lot of these comics, they really sanitized war. Sure. You know, Captain America is sure. punching Hitler. He's not shooting him. No, no. I, no. I always thought it was interesting. There was a debate online about you know what version of Captain America was better, the kind, like the more modern Captain America you'll see in flashbacks World War. Two, he'll be charging in with a shield, but also have like a machine gun. You yeah, know? it's it's gritty. You know, he's doing. People had to do some, you know, tough things in World War Two, make some hard choices. Sure, and Cap was a part of that. But also, like when he was created, it was kind of like a, you know, what kind of man goes into the war with a shield instead of a gun? Yeah. You know, uh, I thought I always thought that was an interesting yeah. idea. But well, it, it really kind of limited the impact of what war was actually like. Sure, and it was a metaphor too, right? Yeah. You're not going into to kill people. You're going in to protect people. Yeah, he's going in to defend. You've got your yeah. shield, the you know the shield of the people. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it, it's just kind of weird the whole situation of othering other people to to make your point and your propaganda. Well, you know, like you mentioned the punch thing, right? Yeah. You know, Joe Lewis, right? The famous boxer went to the Olympics, kicked a lot of ass, beat down the German German boxer who was supposed to be this prime specimen of like Aryan, the Aryan race. Aryan, yeah. you know, I also think genetics. To derail you really quick, I also think it's really interesting that Steve Rogers is like the picture of Aryan supremacy. Oh, I know. Right? You know, he's like at peak physical condition. He's blonde, square jawed, yep. good looking. Yeah, German. he's the one punching Hitler in the face. Yeah, yeah, it was kind of like a you know back at you. Right. But yeah, I mean, Joe Lewis is is known as the guy who punched Hitler in the face at the Olympics. Yeah. You know, and they were they were really ragging on it, like you know what is this what does this black man have to offer? You know, we've got this this quote unquote specimen and he whooped your whooped your ever loving ass yeah you know so yeah it's it's kind of weird and as vietnam got into it you know in the 50s it was it was still around was still popular but when vietnam really hit it really really ramped up and it's funny that you were talking about glorifications because while there were a lot of glorifications i think with vietnam knowing the sentiment you know a lot of younger kids were reading and a lot of those younger kids were really hip they knew what was going on and uh, while their older brothers and sisters were out in rallies, you know, they were sitting at home, probably thinking the same damn thing, reading comic books. Um, but yeah, there, some of them actually endeavored to make it really more realistic. 
I think that speaks to the maturation of the industry too. I mean, this was at the time where people were kind of ditching the Comic Code Authority to mm-hmm. to deal with uh, drug abuse. Oh yeah. You know, uh, Green Arrow's sidekick Speedy was you know having issues with heroin, mm-hmm. and you know there were uh, groups assisting the Black Panthers in comics, and yeah. it was really you know really uh, cultural culturally aware. Look at uh, look at uh, Hal Jordan with John Stewart, right? Yep. The uh, Guardians appointed John Stewart. You know, because Hal Jordan needed help. A black man or a Marine. Black man or Marine. Um, architect, too. Well-educated. Yeah. And Hal Jordan didn't like him at first. Yeah. Because he didn't trust him. Solely on the basis of that, he was black. You know, and as as that went on, it was a really kind of cool arc to see Hal Jordan kind of coming to grips with, like, his own deep-seated racism. And saying, wow, this guy actually can help a lot, despite what my, uh, my image of him was. So, yeah, I mean, there was a lot of that. But, you know, Frontline Combat was one of those, those series... That really, really took it to the next level. Blazing combat as well. It's interesting. Blazing combat, frontline combat. Yeah. Very much more realistic. Not so much more. Da, 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 right. Charging into battle. Um, not like tales of adventure, tales of suspense. No, no, no. Or even like something like, even like with Sergeant Rock, right? Sergeant Rock, Sergeant Fury. There's a like kind of glorification there too. Yeah. There's one man killing machine. Um, but yeah, blazing combat really was very gory. It showed soldiers doing not so many savory things, which was a real big, big change, you know. And you saw that in news media all the time. So yep. I mean, the whole the whole consciousness was just shifting with Vietnam. And you know, once people got sick of war, even in the Cold War in the 1980s, a lot of these comics died. Sergeant Rock disappeared for many, many years. They revived him in New 52. Oh really? Oh yeah, which was a very interesting take. I mean, when they released some of those comics that they were going to bring back. I was really surprised that some specific characters got their own lines. Mm. But, yeah, Sergeant Rock had his own line for a while. Well, you know, we talked about Sergeant Fury kind of evolved into just more of like a spy, espionage-type character and kind of strayed away from that eventually. Which may or may not be doing more dirt than a soldier killing on the front lines. Yeah. You know? I mean, speaking in Cold War terms, uh, I don't think many people are familiar with this, but Iron Man is actually a very very rude in the Cold War. I I came up with some examples just when I was thinking about this beginning today please enlighten us malika i mean first of all there's just the dynamic of him being a weapons designer as a hero mm-hmm. you know this whole race to to build the most nukes and and build up our military infrastructure you know in this in the 80s i'm, I'm sure you know a heroic character could have been seen out of the scientist who builds these weapons for his country you know and yeah uh, a lot of the uh villains that iron man faced against crimson dynamo mm. uh yeah total red yeah absolutely yeah uh who was actually uh, Ivan Vanko. I know that he's Whiplash in the mm-hmm. movie, but yeah. Ivan Vanko was Crimson Dynamo oh, really? in the Did they in change the that intentionally on the, the They thing? did, yeah. Weird. Because uh, in the movies, you know, in the first one he faced uh, Jeff Bridges' uh, Iron Monger, who's yeah, essentially yeah, yeah, just yeah. a bigger Iron Man suit. Sure, yeah. That's all the Crimson Dynamo really is. Just a larger version. It's just a larger, more... I mean, and you can see that too, Crimson Dynamo, as just like a more industrialized, yeah. you know, robot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then there was uh, Mandarin, even Chinese character, mm-hmm. uh, trying to fight the Reds in that. And there's some other kind of smaller examples. But Crimson Dynamo's maybe like a B-level villain. Mandarin's his main villain, though. I mean, that's who he was yeah. going against in most of those early stories. And Mandarin had all these mystical powers, right? So it's like almost like this parallel to and like he the was, Chinese economy. He like was like a stereotypical like yeah. Fu Manchu kind of weird oh, yeah. foreigner character. Lots of robes, I man. mean, he's called the Mandarin, for Christ's sake. Lots of robes. Yeah, yeah, yeah the Mandarin. He looks like Emperor Ming from <laughs> from Flash Gordon. <laughs> Long fingernails? Uh, yeah, I think he probably did. Wow. He definitely had wow. the, the collar and like the baldness and everything. Stereotypes in comics, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, Iron Man, uh, we can t- definitely talk about Watchmen for Cold War. Oh, for sure. I mean, God, wow, I didn't even actually think about that. Yeah, but, I mean, that's I mean, a pretty anti-Cold War book there. Jesus. Well, yeah, of course. I mean, you got the the Doomsday Scientists moving the Doomsday clock to yeah, you know, I mean, five minutes huge, to midnight. Yeah, I mean, it's a huge motif throughout the entire thing. All the clocks are slowly getting Absolutely. closer to midnight. Absolutely. Dr. Manhattan being a nuclear deterrent. Right. Right, the reasons why the Russians are trying to invade Afghanistan so much harder if you will in that book is because they're like you guys are can take everything from us as opposed to the opposite you know at that point in time we were really concerned that the russians were going to really start taking over key you know key countries key interests that we were losing the war um so yeah definitely watchmen for sure uh batman uh dark knight returns Mm -hmm. they're using superman basically as kind of the same role as dr manhattan superman's kind of a lackey for reagan do they have him they have him rolling into grenada don't they 
It's they're a, they're invading Grenada. A Grenada in analog. Yeah, like a Grenada in, in the Cordo Maltese. Cordo yeah, Cordo Maltese. Well, there was there was a lot of war in Cordo Maltese too, so that makes sense. Yeah. Um, interesting. Yeah. So he goes in there and he he busts up the the Reds and frees Cordo Maltese. Yeah. Freeze with a big quote unquote. Sure. You know, big quotations. Yeah. So I mean, there's a lot of motifs of us trying to fight the war again with comic books. It was almost like okay, so Vietnam. There was this great. Uh, I forget the name of the class I was in, but one of the segments we talked about is how after... Oh, it was in a film appreciation class. Oh, anyway, yeah. uh, we talked about how after Vietnam, there was kind of just this sentiment in the media that a lot of movies and uh, I guess, you know, things like this, like comic books even, it can extend to, was about, you know, going back to Vietnam and winning. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, you know, it was a huge blow to us just as like a superpower that we could go into this place this foreign jungle small, small jungle country and they would just basically whip us down and demoralize us and we would see our you know our young men and women going over there like world war ii we think they're going to go in and pound and you know yeah uh real heroic do, do the merry stuff, fight yeah. and they come back just so damaged and we see it all on on camera for the first time so there was like this almost like need to go back and do it again but yeah. this time win yeah you know and that's actually a big motif in in watchmen too um, you know they win. They win Vietnam because of Doctor Manhattan. Nixon sends in Manhattan, and there's there's a line when Doctor Manhattan is kind of doing his like flashback monologue uh, mm-hmm. near the end of the book, where he's saying that you know this was something that his predecessors would have not done. Um, but yeah, they win Vietnam, and then you know the comedian has that really classic line. He's like, you know, if we would have lost this, it probably would have messed us up as a country. And it's just such a it's so chilling when you read that too, because right. it's like, oh, it's so true. But like. Here's this total flip of the script, you know. There's almost like this, like really like strong arrogance too. Like, yeah, we knew we were gonna do it, but we needed this big blue guy who could dismantle everything in order to do it. And honestly, I mean, look at the challenges that you had in Vietnam. Of course, you would need something like that. Those guys were the Viet Cong were ready to do business. They knew the land. They hid everywhere. There's no way we're gonna win. Oh, well, this is interesting too. I mean, we could talk about literary themes in Watchmen for hours. Of course, really. But I mean, you know, him is. Uh, as a nuclear analog, mm-hmm. you know, maybe if we would use that option, which I guess in their universe, you know, is the equivalent of us dropping a nuclear bomb on Vietnam, maybe that would have won for us. Which would know? have been chaos. No, if we did yeah. that, I mean, Russia would be throwing nukes at us in a heartbeat. Which is why, you know, the war was so escalated in that. But anyway, just, you know, a lot to think about there. Um, I mean, there are just parts of Vietnam that are integral to a lot of characters. I brought up uh, the Punisher the other day. Mm-hmm. Uh, Punisher yeah. born, uh, very Vietnam central vet. to him as a yeah. character with all of the... Uh, you know, physical and mental duress that he had to go through in that war, uh, and basically just give himself to this kind of force of, uh, of violence, yeah. you know, to get through it, to kind of sacrifice his own humanity to yeah. make it through that war. And, you know, they always talk about with the Punisher that he always, he always mentions some stuff like, well, okay, I'll, I'll bring this up later. Cause I have a nice recommendation for later, but, yeah. uh, you know, there, there's, a, there's a couple of lines with Punisher kind of like realizing that his war has never stopped. You know that he's still at war, um, and that comes a lot from from him being in Vietnam. You know, we always talk about Batman having this this inevitable, you know, perpetual war on crime. You know, but when you look at something like The Punisher, like that man really thinks he's still in the jungle. You know, taking all these people out, even yeah. though his his motivations are completely different. You know, he's avenging his family, but he's also trying to get scum off the streets. But yeah, like you said, he's got a real strong. I'm in here, Marine. If everybody else in my company dies, I got to get out somehow. You yeah. know. It's a weird mentality to have. But, yeah, I mean, with the Vietnam thing, as soon as that was done, a lot of these books died. But, you know, the Cold War revived all of it. And uh, you had a lot of interesting interesting characters come up out of nowhere. You know, communist characters who actually became pretty big characters, well-known, well-liked characters. Some of them were obviously defects, you know what I mean? And some of them were just kind of like that uh – Ivan Drago-esque oh, sure. character, you know? Sure. Just some ridiculously stereotyped... Ridiculously stereotyped communist character for sure. us to kind of rally against. And Ben's got a nice list here of some of our favorite uh, comic book co- communists yep. that we're going to roll through. Some of them are pretty ridiculous, the, actually. Uh, the fine folks over at Comics Alliance, who do great work, by the way, if you haven't been over to comicsalliance.com, check them out. They always write really cool articles about things. They, they're kind of like BuzzFeedy articles, you know, like listicles and yeah, stuff Yeah, sometimes. Like There's some really good long-form uh, columns written by oh, Chris yeah. Sims. Yeah, and then they, they have a lot of good news, too. Um, so as I'm going through this, it's called the article's called Red Scare, it's from quite a few years ago, but I just was looking it up. Um, 
and it starts off with Red Superman, which is really funny. You know, we've spoken about this before, but we'll, we'll very briefly, the whole Superman story flips. Instead of landing in Kansas, he lands in, like, you know, Siberia or some shit. Yeah. You know, the Reds find him. They groom him to be this, like, you know, ultimate weapon for the Soviet Union. For the people. Though. Yeah. yeah. Which is totally different from Superman, right? Obviously, he, he, he stands for truth, justice, in the American way. But there was never any kind of government involvement. Right. Like, this is, like, strictly a government experiment with Superman. <laughs> Um, which is really funny. And you see that in The Dark Knight Returns, too, because, you know, yeah. they've got him locked up. No, wait, not Dark Knight Returns. Excuse me, I'm being ri- ridiculous right now. Flashpoint. In Flashpoint, when the whole universe is completely flipped and the timelines flip, you know, as opposed to just letting this, not never finding the Superman body, they actually take him in and, like, experiment, f- on, experiment him, yeah. on him totally. Um, so, yeah, the Red Sun storyline is really cool if you want to check it out. But going down this list... I think the number one, as many of you probably have already called it, is the wonderful Natasha Romanoff, the Black Widow. Yeah, it's kind of a no-brainer there. Absolutely. She's a Soviet spy. Yep. Turned uh, turned coat, if you will. Yeah. Turned uh, double red, cross red to coat double to cross. blue coat. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Joins joins Shield. Becomes one of the uh, Avengers. Is basically Fury's uh, most trusted spy out of all of them. Yeah. Ran some missions with the Winter Soldier with Bucky Barnes yeah. back when he was uh, you know, programmed by the Soviets and she was still working for them. I thought that yeah. was always kind of interesting. Interesting to hear this the Comics Alliance story says that she might as she might very well be the heir to the overthrown Tsar. She was like some kind of like love child of the Tsar. Oh, really? Yeah. That's kind of cool. She is Russia, man. Yeah. She is Russia. Uh, before those uh, Bolsheviks threw them over. Uh, next we have uh, and I didn't know I didn't know he was a Soviet character. I didn't know he was a Russian character, but Colossus. Oh yeah, Colossus's uh, Russian heritage is actually a pretty big part of his character. Wow, I didn't know that. I guess I never really paid attention to Colossus as yeah, much as I should. I mean, have. his name is Pyotr Rasputin. Yeah, that's a good point. That's pretty damn Russian. That's pretty good. That's pretty yeah, good. I mean, this was kind of brought out. We should talk about X Men kind of in depth at someday. But I mean, sure. this is when uh, the original team of you know Cyclops, Iceman, Angel, uh, Beast, and uh, Marvel Girl was yeah. kind of knocked out of commission. So Professor Xavier assembles this new team to go save them from the living island of Krakoa. Yeah. Ridiculous. Anyway, he gets the Canadian Wolverine, the African Storm, uh, the German Nightcrawler, yeah. the... Uh, is he German or is he French? He's German. Is he? Yeah, he's pretty German. Oh, I never knew that. I thought Kurt, he was French. Kurt Wagner. So that's pretty damn uh, German, yeah, too. I guess so. Uh, he I, gets, I, I never looked at these guys' as, like actual names. Oh, I, yeah. feel, I feel really foolish right now. He gets the Scottish Scottish Banshee, the Japanese Sunfire, and the Russian uh, Colossus. Wow. Yeah, very multicultural wow. class. And it's funny here in this in this particular uh, issue, it doesn't tell me what issue this is, but he's uh, choking out uh, Scott and Storm, and he's got a big hammer and sickle with Lennon's head in it on his on his jumpsuit. So he's got yeah he's wearing he's wearing Lennon, fun. Uh, moving on as we go down, this is kind of an obscure one. I don't really know about this at all. Uh, it's a Fantastic Four character, a villain, the Red Ghost and his super apes. <laughs> That's and, awesome. and here uh, for you folks at home, we'll describe this picture I'm looking at. There's a man who looks like Kane from Kung Fu. I would say he looks like. <sighs> That's kind of tough. I don't know, like a like a plastic man. Yeah, this, Kite type suit. costume. Yeah, he's wearing a skirt. He definitely has a man skirt. He looks on. like a balding Iggy Pop. Yeah, he totally looks like Iggy Pop. Yeah. We just get a couple of cuts on his With chest. An orangutan, a gorilla, and a, a, a howling bab- monkey, howling. howling baboon. Yeah. That is a baboon jowl, if I ever do say so myself. Wow. And so he's, he's saying, nothing gets in the way of the red ghost and his super apes. Meanwhile, all the monkeys behind her are like, <laughs> unbelievable. Yeah, weird. So apparently, this was a Stan Lee. Uh, Creation, yeah, go figure. He was man. He give, must have been out of ideas that day. Give me any more reason to hate Stan Lee. Um, but yeah, so Reed Richards originally launched uh, an untested spaceship into a stream of cosmic rays. Well, we've heard that one before. Yeah. Uh, to beat the Russians to the moon, Comics Alliance writes to to, to attribute, so I don't get sued. Um, but yeah, it was uh, no small leap, they say, and uh, evil opposites created. And then the next thing you know, we've got Homeboy here, the Red Ghost. Jeez. And his apes. What, what were these? Were these the apes that were like? They were probably like monkey leftover test pilots like or something. around in the, like the solar system. I guess, man. 
I don't know. Well, Move. the orangutan did not work out for us. That was a pretty good Russian, actually. Well, thank you very much. I like to do it sometimes, especially when I read comic books. Mm. I do this a lot in the office, too. Yeah. It's funny. Moving on. Moving on. Deadshot. This one I knew, and this one you knew, too, which is really kind of cool. He's not... He's not... Not quite a communist. You know, Deadshot's origin is that, you know, he was locked up, you know, for, for being kind of a gun for hire. Uh, he assassinates somebody, and the Russian government doesn't like it very much, and then they lock him down. He's in Siberia for a real long time. Interesting interesting enough, right, we all thought that uh, Deadshot was going to be the villain in Dark Knight Rises for a real long time. We really, oh, really? We really thought that Tom Hardy was going to be Deadshot. I don't think I ever heard that rumor. That's cool. Yeah, that was early on. That would have been interesting. That was something we discussed for a real long time. Deadshot's basically like a bullseye type character, but uh, on, the, yeah. on the DC side, he's just one of those guys who has super accuracy with everything. He can yep. like hit you with a pencil from like a hundred yards away. Yeah, nothing really special there other than that. But uh, yeah, we were all kind of thinking about like, well, how are they going to do that? Are they going to have a scene where they break him out? Um, but yeah, so Floyd Lawton. Yeah, nothing Russian there really. You know, uh, leader of the Suicide Squad now. Yep, has been for a real long time. Uh, but has his deep roots in, you know, being stranded in Siberia. Next we have, this This one's awesome. I enjoyed looking at this one quite a bit. A little a little guy out of, uh, out of China who can morph apparently into, like, multiple beings at one point in time. They can merge together and then form out. So they're, like, one man into, like, multiples. Yeah. His name is the Collective Man. That's, uh... You don't get more communist than that. That's pretty thinly veiled there. Very thinly veiled. He's got he's got a purple suit on, so he's Prince, um, but a communist. He's got a, a white streak in his hair to make him even more evil. Yeah. And more Russian-looking. scientist yeah. stuff going on there. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And he's got a bunch of, like, communist stars all over his... Uh, yeah, it looks like the, uh... People's Republic of China flag, but if it was like purple yeah. for some reason, Prince Prince is now the uh, ruler of China. Yeah, I don't know what's up with that Jeez, one. Jeez, man. So there's a weird one. That's fun. The Soviet super soldiers. Okay, some let's let's, let's take there. a minute here. So as I'm looking at this, there's oh god, there's a guy in a cape who looks like some kind of emperor. He's got a hammer and a sickle in hand. I don't know who this character is. Uh, we've got a woman who's, you know, looks like a standard superhero. But much like the Fantastic Four has Ben Grimm, a huge rock man, the Soviet super soldiers have a big bear man. The name on this is just brilliant. His name is Ursa Major, which is totally ridiculous. It says not just because he's a gigantic bear, but occasionally because he gets into scuffles with Rom the Space Knight? That doesn't make any sense. I, I, I don't get it. Rom the Space Knight's pretty... Is he also like a major in the military? Is yes, that like... he's, he's, a red, he's a red army <laughs> major. So not, not the other guys. The other guys, no. But the bear is. Yeah. The bear is the... The bear ranks higher. He's the commanding officer in this unit. <laughs> he's the leader and he's a Ursa bear. major. Uh, fast forward to modern day and Putin's wrestling him. Yeah. You know, no respect for Ursa Major, apparently. That's so That funny. man fought for everything Putin stands for. Bear man. Yeah, bear man. Maybe they're cool. Maybe they're like, they play chess together. Probably. You know, he's like, I'm sorry I've wrestled so many of your people. <laughs> I'm sorry he's, I've killed so many yeah, bears. He's like the bear ambassador. You know. Um, moving on, this is a little more well-known one. Malachi knows this guy a lot. Uh, the Omega Red. Yeah. Omega Red, uh, one of the Weapon Plus uh, agents, helped uh, do some missions with Wolverine back when he was with Weapon X. Uh, pretty damn communist. Uh, he's red <laughs> he's, all the way he's through. He's damn communist. He's, he, yeah. <laughs> Even more communist than the other ones. Yeah. I Even mean, more communist than Ursa Major, apparently. Yeah, which is ridiculous. <laughs> I don't know. He's Omega Red has always been kind of a weird character. He's like, I would say he's in like the B-level of Marvel. Yeah. Uh, he, he looks like it. He's like a good. He definitely looks like He's it. like a Wolverine villain for the most part. He's got these weird like tendrils. Yeah. That come out of his wrists that yep. are also, I think, made out of adamantium so and they can like, electrocute kind people. Kind of like almost Dr. Octopus looking. Yeah, too. kind of. And he's got like this crazy ass 90s hair with like <laughs> a super long blonde ponytail. He looks like, he looks like Street Fighter. He looks yeah. like definitely a character from Street Fighter. He was in Marvel vs. Capcom too. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. There you go. He was definitely made in the '90s. Yeah, clearly a '90s character. A lot of uh, a lot of armor, a lot of uh, white skin. I think he was like a part of KGB engineering, yep. like genetic testing genetic or engineering. Something. Yeah, he was put on ice, however, for however long it takes for. <laughs> this is Comic Book Alliance talking here. He was put on ice for however however long it takes a person to grow a side mullet, <laughs> which is clearly the hairstyle that yeah. uh, Omega Red is sporting here. Yeah. 
So there's that. Uh, that's interesting. And he looks kind of like Azrael from uh, Nightfall, from Batman, the uh, Azrael Batman. Kind of weird. And last but not least. Oh, we got a couple more. It should be last, and it should be least. But uh, Rocket Red, this is a Justice League character, a Justice League villain. Uh, the picture of this guy wow. is just like a man, wow. he's a cosmonaut with like a missing tooth probably lost in some kind of hockey accident and he's just cheesing man he's got the biggest goofiest grim and he's that like a thumbs up totally missing teeth totally throwing up what's what's he saying here he said although my wife says the gap is charming yeah yeah wow i have never heard of this guy before apparently he is uh he was he's a he's a he turned out to be a Manhunter, which yep. Manhunters are uh, robots created by the Guardians before they created wow. the Green Lantern Corps. Wow, so yeah, he's an, inter- he's an intergalactic robot. What the hell? And uh, he said that he was a family man who was fond of quoting Rocky and Bullwinkle. Well now. Okay. Which doesn't really work out in his favor. Why would a communist... Be be making fun of like his a, himself? Well, no, like, I mean, he's... Rocky and Bullwinkle's like Canadian, right? That's where that came yeah, from. Yeah, yeah, but you know, and then Boris and Natasha like were always like, oh they yeah, always they failed. were the They always failed miserably. You yeah, know? they were like spies. I was never really up to date on the Rocky. Why and were the Canadians fighting Boris and Natasha? I don't of, know. of all the things. Well, of course, the top Canadian agents were a goddamn a, moose, a moose and a flying squirrel. squirrel. Yeah, clearly the the top of the class. Yeah, not bottom of the barrel there. Uh, so the yeah, Rocket Red's a, a strange case, and let's leave him where he died. Uh, moving on, we have the Red Trinity. Their names are Anatoly, Bebek, and Cassiopeia. Bebek. Bebek. Yes. Uh, they were three, stop us if you heard this one, Comics Alliance writes, three Russian super agents who were experimented on and granted superpowers. Oh, my God. This is great. Okay, so yeah. they had to fight whatever for the government, and then they defected, and they went into business as a metahuman delivery service mm-hmm. called the Capitalist Courier, with K's for capitalist and courier. Yep. And you don't get more Russian than that. With geez, K's, K's that's in the front. not subtle whatsoever. But uh, apparently, he was a major. Uh, Super Speed was one of the main characters that the uh, powers that they had. So they were like constantly fighting with Flash, which seems kind of cool, you know. Yeah, I don't know. Wow, that's very they, They're right all now. wearing white suits and red boots. They all have uh, red stars on them. They kind of look like uh, Guardian from Alpha Flight, but if it kind was of, just not the yeah, Canadian, they, they kind of look like early X Men too. Yeah, a little bit. Really weird. This last one is great. This yeah, is this my is, favorite. This is probably both of our favorites. Yeah. The KGBs. <laughs> what a guy. What a character. He uh, basically is a super assassin. He comes to Gotham. He tries to mess with Batman quite a bit. Um, he's usually he's pretty much a Batman foe. Yeah, which he is, is really strange because of out of all the other characters that they could have used KG Beast against, you know, KG what I mean? Beast has some great history. So he comes to the United States to assassinate some targets. Uh, Batman gets in the way, and then the KG Beast decides that he wants to, you know, defeat Batman. Yeah, take his head. So they have, like, a, a knockdown, drag-out brawl, and uh, Batman narrowly defeats him, or other way around. It's it's really close. And I think the KG Beast loses one of his hands in the ensuing brutality. Interesting. And uh, KG Beast replaces that with a laser, as one does. And, uh, laser hands. And fights Batman again. <laughs> when in doubt, get laser hands. Oh, what's what's great. interesting is that when Batman fights him for the second time, yeah. realizing that he's probably going to lose in a physical confrontation, he tricks him into going down to the sewers, slams him in a room, and then covers the room with bricks and leaves. Wow. And, so it's uh, like almost like Castle of the Montalado. This is what we're talking about, like yeah, Edgar Allan Poe shit here. Exactly, yeah. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah, and so a lot, it didn't sit well with a lot of people for a while, and it eventually got wrecked. Like, locked him in because like, buried him alive. Because he basically killed this guy, buried uh, him alive. You know, um, keeps coming back. You but gotta it got, put him down. It got retconned later on that yeah. he, he alerted the authorities after that, and they put him in jail. And, yeah, so he's escaped, and yep. he's, you know, an occasional Batman foe with his laser hand that's sometimes also like a giant hook. Yeah, he's just bizarre. He's dressed in like yeah, a luchador mask with like BDSM. Yeah, gear. He's, he looks like he's like slave and master. He's all got nunchaku around. <laughs> 50, Fifty Shades of KGB. Yeah. <laughs> he's got nunchaku around his leather thong and girdle. Yeah, he's got some ninja stars there. Yeah, that's all. That seems like that would hurt. A lot of different disciplines of combat. He's absolutely aware. And anyway, yeah. yeah, he's the beast. He's uh, one of the few that could take down the bat. Yep. So apparently, in the storyline Ten Nights of the Beast, yeah. he uh, threatened to kill the president, and Batman, you know, obviously put him to to shame. Wow. Ten Nights of the Beast. Wow. The KG Beast. Wild. So there we have it. Our favorite comic book communists 
if you guys can think of any more comic book communists, please email Malachi Barrett at news. News at, at cm-dash. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, yeah. cm-life.com. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. there. They're out there. There are some more communists that weren't touched on. Yeah, yeah. So please enlighten us. Share in the business. Have you gotten any emails from, from these these palookas? Oh, I get hundreds. I spend probably the first six hours of my day every morning that going you're totally to the bullshitting mail. me. And uh, most of it is just in the form of women's underwear. Yeah, absolutely. So. Yeah. yeah. Some guys' boxers in there, too, which, you know. I appreciate hey, either gender's we, underwear. We're just happy you're listening, man. Yeah. And giving us your underwear. Well, I guess that kind of moves us on to our final segment here. Some recommendations. Sure. If sure. you want to go first, I know you came into the office yesterday. Oh, with God. It. Okay, so I was gifted a bunch of Punisher comics uh, recently, um, and I went home this weekend, and I stashed them there because there's a lot. There's I mean, a huge stack. And so I was like, you know, I'm bored. I'm going to read some comic books. And uh, the first one I grabbed is the Punisher's Summer Special, Yeah. August 91. And uh, this is a 48-page 40, book, no ads in it, wow. no ads whatsoever. The, uh, the title card is Crazy from the Heat. And it's basically four different stories uh, of the Punisher kind of just, like, doing his thing, but also very, like, summer-focused, you know? Like, he visits, like, an old – like, he visits an old enemy, you know, at, like, kind of like a like a, an Independence Day fair. Is there know? a Punisher beach party? No, there's no Punisher beach party. I, I have a feeling that could get really bloody really fast. Yeah. That does not sound fun for anybody except for him. Does he murder any criminals in a Speedo while drinking? I mean, no, but like I mean... A it, <laughs> like a Coca-Cola. Like a like sipping out of a coconut yeah, shell. Yeah, Or like somebody's head, you know? Uh, well, he's not, you know, a kid. Yeah, he's not sadistic. Um, but yeah, no, so there's all these different various things of him going. One of them is actually called Independence Day, and... Um, you know, that's a pretty cool storyline. He uh, protects an ex-Marine. Um, and there's kind of like that parallel with him, you know, trying to, like, protect his company and stuff, too. The The first one, though, the first one is great. Uh, he goes to a gun fair and uh, finds another ex-Marine. There's, like, a lot of ex-Marines in this weird, in this book. Um, but this guy is called, like, Dasad. He's, like, a sadistic, you know, killer. He was totally known in his company for just, like, just, just ruthless, ruthless, ruthless killing. But, yeah, he buys up a bunch of weapons and goes robs a bank and, you know, obviously the Punisher puts a kibosh on that real quick. But the funny thing is that there's, like, this, like, mini cold open, right? I've never seen this done before. This was kind of – this kind of blew my mind. It had nothing to do with any of the rest of the comic books, but it basically just showed him staking out somebody's house, uh, a criminal – a gang lord that he was trying to hunt after, and apparently he slips a tracker in his drink, you know? Yeah. So he launches this fucking rocket from, like – gotta be like like 200 miles away you know 200 yards away something like that 200 miles that's ridiculous 200 yards away and uh the thing like tracks his stomach and just blows up the whole entire house yeah calls it his barium meal bomb his bmb <laughs> his B- barium meal yeah wow, I can't and it's funny it. too because like you know malachi and i talk about you know quips in comic books especially spider-man because you know spider-man's malachi's boy um but i never really i never really dig on it because it's always like some bratty kid you know it's like shut shut the hell up go do some homework I want to meet your mom. You know, like, stuff like that. His mom is dead. <laughs> oh, yeah, good point. Uh, it sucks. Sucks for me. Um, sucks for him. But, yeah, with the, the Punisher, it's interesting because, like, you know, he's just, like, this, this super hardened dude. So when he does make quips, it's, like, almost, like, more, like, just, like, real sly. It's There's something sinister to it. It's always, you know? like, really cheesy, I feel like, like an action movie. Yeah, yeah, but it's 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 cool. But it's hip, you know what I mean? There's, okay, like, some sure. swagger to it, you uh-huh. know? Yeah, yeah. There's some, like, some Clint Eastwood sl- swagger to it. I was thinking more like Stallone. Sure. Yeah, he looks like Stallone. Yeah, Frank Castle for sure. Uh, but yeah, it was a good. It's a great book. If you can find it, pick it up. I'm sure it's not that expensive. I'm I'm a big fan of annuals. Big fan of like specials. Uh, you know, one of my favorite books is obviously The Long Halloween, which was a very oh, yeah. elongated Halloween special. Everything Tim Sale and Jeff Loeb did uh, with their other Halloween specials were really good. So, yeah, when annuals come out and they're really weird like that, that it tickles my fancy. So. To kind of continue in the vein of, like, some war comics, there was a really interesting run on uh, Ultimate Comics Captain America, which uh, we've talked about the Ultimate Universe before. It's just kind of a reimagining, like, a modern version of of the mainstream Marvel continuity. And uh, in this one, uh, the Red Skull is actually a son of Captain America who was a super soldier and was, like, kind of tested on. And basically he's kind of the villain in this. But what's really interesting is that Captain America meets... Uh, his Vietnam era analog. Oh wow! So they were, they were able to recreate the super soldier serum and created a super soldier for Vietnam. Interesting. And instead of you know 
being uh, Captain America is kind of just this cornbread, really uh, you know, ultra conservative fight for what's right, sure. you know, protect women. Very, and all li- this stuff. very libertarian. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, he kind of just encapsulates those, uh, I guess, romanticized view of how America was back in the golden age. You know. Yeah. Meanwhile, uh, his Vietnam counterpart is very damaged. Suffers from PTSD, had to do some terrible, terrible things to survive. Now this is just this is just like Captain America in Vietnam. It's not like a Vietnamese character, right? Right. It's gotcha. like it, it's like an American super soldier who was created to fight Vietnam. Gotcha. As the Vietnamese Captain America, gotcha. yeah. So that's a very interesting dynamic when they fight. Um, and this version uh, has like the American flag tattooed on his face, oh, wow. uh, which is kind of like a. There's a character in the regular. Uh, Marvel continuity. I think his name is like Nuke, but it's not the same guy. But anyway, they yeah, kind of borrowed Nuke, that over. Yeah. Very interesting. And uh, yeah, he just beats the crap out of Captain America the first time they fight. Wow. And uh, is that yeah, because he's got so much rage and so much pent up. Yeah, I mean, it's par- it's partially that, partially because he's you know caught off guard because he's seeing you know Red Skull and this guy in one day, and he gets kind of ambushed. Anyway, sure. I won't spoil it, but I just I think you know kind of in the vein of what we we were talking about, it just kind of came into my head, and uh, that'll be my recommendation. Ultimate Comics, Captain America. Uh, good little book. Uh, I think it's only about. Five, ten issues, somewhere in between there. Okay. So you can pick that up somewhere. It's a good, a good like arc to sink your teeth into. Yeah, I think it's collected somewhere. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Well, kids, that brings us to the end of our show. As always, it's great uh, sitting next to you, Malachi. Oh, shucks. Discussing the nerddom of the universe and our own planet. So, uh, until next time, kids. Malachi. Well, guys, you know our time has come. <laughs> Here we are again. It was such a good episode, too, wasn't it? I mean, come on. I don't know, maybe. We shared so much. See you guys uh, next week. Same bat time, same bat channel.